Welcome to Murder Bucket, a true crime podcast where I talk about everything from murders, paranormal activity, kidnappings, abductions, and also weird stuff. If you never want to miss a new episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It would also be helpful if you rated and left me a review. This spreads the word about Murder Bucket. Let's see what we're going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome to another Tuesday. It is slightly drizzling here where I live, and it's not too hot, not too cold. But it's still a great Tuesday. Why? Because it is time for another episode of Murder Bucket. And we are still on our food-slash-restaurant theme. And tonight, we're going to talk about the Worst Cooks in America winner's murder. But first, as always, let's quickly do our week-slash-weekend recap. My weekend was actually really wonderful. On Friday night, my husband and I got free tickets to this three-day festival here in our area. So Friday night, we got to see Leonard Skinner live for free. Saturday morning, we had a wedding at our church for a couple of our friends. Congratulations to both of them. It was absolutely beautiful. Of course, my daughter loved all of the bubbles that they had. It was great. Then Saturday night, we had the second day of the festival and got to see Jimmy Allen and Billy Currington. Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Sunday was just church. We didn't have a softball game because it's a bye week. And then Sunday evening, I had to start my prep for colonoscopy I ended up having on Monday and I know you don't want me to talk about that so I'm not going to and today is Tuesday and we're back with another episode and like I said super quick weekend slash week recap because tonight is the first episode of the month and you know what that means We've got the True Crime News Corner at the end of the episode, so be sure to stick around so you can hear all of the stuff that happened in April. So let's just go ahead and get started with tonight's episode. We are talking about the Worst Cooks in America winner, Murder. If you are anything like me and you love watching cooking shows, I'm sure you've probably heard of or you've even watched a few episodes of Worst Cooks in America, but if you haven't, let me just go ahead and fill you in of what it's all about. This is taken directly from wikipedia.com. Worst Cooks in America is an American reality television series that premiered on January 3rd, 2010 on the Food Network. The show takes between 12 to 16 people with very poor cooking skills through a culinary boot camp to earn a cash prize of $25,000 and a Food Network cooking set. The recruits are trained on various basic cooking techniques, including baking, knife skills, temperature settings, seasoning, and preparation. 
The final challenge is to cook a restaurant-quality three-course meal for three food critics. So far, there have been 24 seasons with a total of 188 episodes. Chef Anne Burrell has led the red team in every single season, while the leader of the blue team changes frequently. You can watch every episode on Hulu, except for season 20, and tonight we're going to get into details as to why that is. Season 20 aired in 2020, started off just like every other season. There were 14 contestants ranging from a social media manager, a federal employee, an ex-football player, to a model. Chef Alex Gordichelli was the leader of the blue team. Each week, a contestant lost that week's main dish challenge and was out of the competition. By episode 5, both teams had two contestants remaining. On the very last episode, Arielle Robinson, a teacher from South Carolina, and Zach Iganofo, a model from Illinois, were the last two contestants. Arielle Robinson ended up winning this season and went home with $25,000. But Arielle's fame didn't end here. On January 23rd, 2021, Season 20, along with the text summaries of every single episode, were pulled from all Discovery platforms because Arielle and her husband Jerry were charged with a homicide by child abuse for the death of their three-year-old foster daughter, Victoria Rose. So let's talk about it. On January 14th, 2021, Jerry Robinson called 911 around 2.15 p.m. and reported that his foster daughter was unresponsive. He told dispatch that she drank too much water and he was attempting CPR to try and get it out. When first responders arrived, they noticed that Tori had excessive bruising on her abdomen, ear, back, and legs. Arielle told first responders that the bruising on her abdomen was from her performing the Heimlich maneuver because she thought Tori was choking. She blamed the rest of the bruising on their seven-year-old son and claimed that he had anger issues and was a liar. Jerry told investigators that Ariel was angry with Tori the night before because she had thrown up on herself on the way to church. He also stated that Ariel got angry with her the next morning because she wasn't eating her pancakes fast enough. Jerry went on to say that while he was outside, he could hear Ariel giving Tori a whooping with a belt, and when he walked back in, he saw Ariel standing over her saying, You don't get to tell me when you're done. He claims that he told Ariel that she had gone too far this time and decided to go to CVS to buy Tylenol to try and bring down the bruising as well as give Tori an Epsom salt bath. After all of that is when Jerry decided to call 911, and when first responders got there, Tori was already in cardiac arrest. Around 3 p.m., Tori was taken by ambulance to the hospital. Investigator Jason Weibel arrived at the hospital and was directed to the emergency room, where he witnessed personnel attempting to save Tori's life. Investigator Weibel then took pictures of Tori's injuries. Unfortunately, at 9 p.m., Tori was pronounced dead. Back at the house, Officers searched the home 
and found belts as well as other items that might have been used to inflict pain. Photos were also taken of the belts. Ariel and Jerry were both arrested and held at the Greenville County Detention Center in South Carolina without bond after the judge denied their appeal for release on bond. Ariel's trial was set for May 9th, while Jerry pleaded guilty to homicide by child abuse, aiding and abetting homicide by child abuse, on April 14th. He faced 10 to 20 years minimum in prison and would be sentenced after Ariel's trial. So during Ariel's court proceedings, her attorney asked for the trial to be closed to the media and the public, but of course the judge denied this request. So let's get into Ariel's trial. At the start of the trial, Ariel walked into the courtroom and smiled as she mouthed the word hi to several people that were sitting in the back. Tori's biological family sat on the opposite side with blue ribbons tied to their shirts in memory of Tori. During opening arguments, assistant solicitor Christy Sestakovich told the jury that evidence would show there was no credible, non-accidental way that Tori ended up with these specific injuries. During the trial, Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Michael Ward testified that Tori weighed about 40 pounds and had innumerable bruises on her stomach, back, and extending all the way down to her lower legs. He showed photos of scratches and abrasions on her skin and stated that they were all from blunt force injuries as well as multiple blows to the skin. He went on to say that the statement Ariel made to officers the night that Tori died of the bruising on her abdomen coming from CPR was in fact false. The bruising was not consistent with hand placements during CPR. In an article on GreenvilleOnline.com, he is also quoted saying, These are distinct areas of blows to the skin. Compressing on the front of Victoria would certainly not cause bruising to the back. He went on to say that the force used on her was enough to not only cause bruising, but to disrupt all the blood vessels of the skin. He said that none of Tori's injuries could have been caused by her seven-year-old brother as Ariel had claimed the night that she died. It wasn't possible for him to have control over her arms to keep her in place while these blows were being concentrated on a specific part of her body. The evening before Tori's death, the family went to a church at Life Restoration. Gene Smith and Avery Santiago both testified during the trial that they saw Ariel and the family there. At one point, Jean walked into the bathroom and noticed that Tori was standing in the handicap stall, shivering. She was only wearing a t-shirt and undergarments. She then noticed that Ariel was standing at the sink, washing out a jacket. Jean then turned and asked Tori if she was okay. Tori just looked up at her and said nothing. She then turned to Ariel and asked if Tori was sick to which Ariel replied, No, she eats too much and makes herself throw up. It's just a game. Avery then testified that they asked Ariel the same thing, and her reply was, You know how kids are. She always does this. She shoves food in her mouth and makes herself throw up. They then overheard Ariel say to Tori, Oh, you're cold? Girls that make themselves throw up deserve to be cold. 
Body camera footage that was presented to the jury during the trial showed Officer Carly Patricus enter the home where Ariel began providing an explanation. She states in the footage, The stomach is from me. I was pushing on her stomach. Every time I pushed on her stomach, throw up came out, so I just kept pushing. Her feet and legs are from her brother. She bruises really bad. She has sensitive skin. Her brother hits her and kicks her because he has anger issues. He was seeing a therapist for it. The footage then shows Ariel and Jerry walking downstairs into their living room to speak with the officers. Ariel tells officers that they were fostering to adopt Tori and her two biological brothers. Officer Patricus and Ariel are then seen walking into the kitchen where Officer Patricus begins to collect more information about what happened that day and the days that led up to this. Ariel tells Officer Patricus about Tori becoming sick and vomiting repeatedly. When Officer Patricus asks Ariel about the bruising on Tori's legs, Ariel began stating that her brother is very rough on her. Officer Patricus states that during this interaction with Ariel, she was very calm, excited, and continued to talk. She went on to state that Ariel did ask to leave so that she could go to the hospital, but was told that it was an active scene and that officers were waiting for the Department of Social Services to arrive. Assistant Solicitor Alexa Holloway presented photos of Tori's bruised body where she points out large splotches of black and blue that ran up and down her body. She shows the masses of black and purple along the right side of her body, up and down both legs, as well as the bruising on her back. Investigator Weibel testified in court that when he took these photos, they were looking to document and find patterns and anything that could indicate that an instrument was used. Investigator Weibel was asked by the defense attorney regarding the seven-year-old sibling. He stated that he did in fact meet with the child school principal and other officials about his behavior. He is quoted saying, While he was in kindergarten, he was involved with hitting, pinching, and spitting on another student. Two other incidents when he was in first grade of him punching a child in the stomach and hitting a classmate. On another day of the trial, paramedic Ken Collar testified that when he responded to the home, he found Tori on her back as other first responders were attempting to create an airway for her. He said that Tori was cold to the touch and that she had discoloration on her lips as well as her overall color showed a lack of circulation. Dr. Jacqueline Joyce Granger, a doctor at Greenville Memorial Hospital, testified that she was astonished by Tori's extreme bruising. She is quoted saying, Signs of physical abuse, we look for patterns and bruising, and we immediately noticed that Tori had linear patterns and loop patterns that appeared to be from an object that was used to hit a child. They would be excruciatingly painful. When Jerry Robinson testified in court, he told the jury that on the evening that Tori died, he was not truthful with officers when he blamed their seven-year-old son for the injuries to Tori's legs. He said that he was trying to protect his wife. After being shown several photos of Tori's bruised body, he began to weep on the stand. 
He was then asked about his relationship with Tori, and he stated that their relationship was great. He was like a teddy bear with her. When it came to discipline, though, Ariel would be the one to do that. He states, It would be Tori wasn't listening, either taking too long to eat her food, or took too long in the bathroom. At times, I would take a piece of her food just so she would eat faster if I saw it going down the path just to help her out. He recalls the evening that Tori died and is quoted saying, I was scared for the moment, us being in trouble, the kids getting taken away, and I was terrified. He told me that she loved me and I told her I love you too and I promised this wouldn't happen again. He states that these were Tori's last words. When Ariel took the stand, she testified that she was sitting in a glider holding Tori when she went limp. She claimed that she never saw bruises on her abdomen or legs until after she was arrested and was shown the photos that were taken by police. She claimed to have a special bond with Tori and stated that she was the girl that she always wanted after having two boys. After she was questioned by her lawyer, she stated that Jerry had lied to her repeatedly throughout their marriage. She claimed that he had the scariest kind of anger issues and she had every intention of leaving him and taking the children after the adoption was finalized. Assistant Solicitor Christy Sestakovich cross-examined Ariel and asked her a series of rapid-fire questions regarding her testimony. Ariel denied the testimony that was given by the two friends from church. She denied saying, girls who make themselves throw up deserve to be cold. In closing arguments by Assistant Solicitor Christy Sustakovich, she told the jury that Ariel lied to them repeatedly. After Ariel saw the bruises on Tori's body while paramedics worked to save her life, she started to fashion a story blaming the bruises on failed CPR efforts and their seven-year-old. She went on to say that Victoria Rose Smith was beaten to death and the evidence shows Ariel Robinson did that. Jerry doesn't have the reputation for being truthful. He has serious credibility issues. Here are several news clips from the coverage of the trial. Please note that in one or more of these clips, the lawyers refer to Ariel's husband as Austin. That is his middle name. Yeah, full day of testimony, focusing mostly on Tori's injuries. But at the end of the day, Ariel Robinson announcing to the court that she will take the stand in her own trial. Day three in the trial of Ariel Robinson, lead investigator sharing what he learned during his initial response to the Robinsons' home. Ariel told us that she did the bruising right then and there prior to uh, 911 being called to try to do the Heimlich and was pushing on her stomach. Um, and that this, so what, but I asked, well, what about the legs? How did they get, um, so purple. Ariel blamed that on Tori's seven-year-old brother. They were in foster care for almost two years, and you would think that like, they all have, like, the only ones who have anger issues. I think it's because of all the mom we had previously. The night before her death, prosecutors say Tori got sick while the Robinsons were on the way to church. One church member testified that she saw Ariel in the bathroom that night when she was changing Tori. I heard Ariel say, oh, you're cold, you're cold. Girls that make themselves throw up deserve to be cold. I just remember thinking, 
oh no, um, you know, I wonder why she's talking to her in that kind of tone. Video here shows them leaving the church. Prosecutors Wednesday focused on Tori's bruising. This is extensive, dependent bruising on a child's body that was inflicted repetitively by blunt force trauma, which is the worst I've seen. The chief medical examiner said pattern bruising indicated a belt was likely used and the bruising occurred during the same period of time. The force separated her leg muscles. So this isn't what we think of as a traditional bruise of the skin. This is a severe, deep injury that's tearing tissue from tissue and allowing blood to collect within the tissues underneath the skin. This is your opportunity to tell your side of the story. Toward the end of testimony, Robinson yes, announced she will take the stand tomorrow. We are on day four in the trial of the Greenville County woman accused of killing her three-year-old foster child. Ariel Robinson is charged with homicide by child abuse in the January 2021 death of Tori Smith. Today, she took the stand. Taggart Houck is following this, and he's live in Greenville with more this afternoon. Taggart. Destiny, good afternoon. All eyes on Ariel Robinson today. You know, this is day four of the trial. The most crowded the courtroom has been all week. Three-year-old Tori Smith died as a result of multiple blunt force trauma. Robinson today, she has said she, she is not responsible for those injuries and said it must have been her husband, Austin, saying she left the night before Tori's death to get groceries. And when she left, she said Tori had no bruising. She said the next day, Tori threw up and ultimately went limp after breakfast. I hollered for Austin to come upstairs. He he came in the room when she was on her um her stool, and he looked at me and he was like, "Is she breathing?" And I said, "I think I hear her trying to breathe. I hear something in her lungs, though. I, it sounds like it sounds like she's got like fluid in her lungs." And so um they said, "Should I call nine one one?" I said, "Yeah, call nine one one because I don't I don't know I don't know what to do." I should mention, we have just heard closing arguments from the state, the solicitor's office. We are in the process of hearing closing arguments from the defense. We will bring you that coverage tonight on WIFF News 4. For now, in Greenville, Taggart Houck, WIFF News 4. The jury deliberated for one and a half hours before coming back with a guilty verdict. In an article on NBCNews.com, Judge Verdeen spoke after the verdict was read and said this, I think the medical testimony in this case was incredibly heartbreaking. For folks who deal in the ER and who service in that way, folks who deal with children in the most critical of situations, for them to say that this was substantially worse than anything they had seen, I think that has to put something into perspective for you. I can say that in my 13, 14 years of being a judge, I have never seen anything like this. I have never seen anything like this, not even approaching it. And what compounds it is that I understand what your attorney is saying. Perhaps you snapped at that moment. But then why let this child suffer and not get her medical attention when she desperately needed it as she lay dying in her own bedroom? Based upon all of that, the sentence of the court cannot be anything but life in prison. Because Jerry pleaded guilty, he did not face a trial. 
During Jerry's sentencing, he received 20 years in prison. I've included the audio clip from his testimony during his sentencing hearing. Um, thank you, Your Honor, for allowing me to speak today. I would just like to give some context as to who I am as a person in my life. As you know, my full name is Jerry Austin Robinson II. I am the miracle child, and I say miracle because after years and years of my parents trying, they finally got me. They didn't think they would be able to have any child. But I'm the miracle child of Jerry and Linda Robinson. I'm 35 years old. I was born on December 29th, 1986. My parents did the best to make sure I had the best life growing up. And I did my best to provide that uh, same life for my kids from birth to even now. I'm a great father in person. I would give my last piece of clothing to anyone that needed it. And my last dollar out of my pocket if they needed that too. Your Honor, I've said all that to say this. I know this situation is hard and tough. And now the day goes by where I don't still think about Tori. There's nothing I wouldn't do to go back and change things, even though I know I can't. I love her, and I still do. I wish I would have handled things differently and called sooner, but I was terrified, scared. I didn't think that things were at that magnitude that they were until it was too late. And I have to live with that and do live with that every day of my life. Um, to Tori's family, I am truly, truly sorry. 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 To Tori's family, I am truly, truly sorry for all of this. And I hope and pray that one day y'all can forgive me. To my family, I love y'all. Through 10 and 11 years of my marriage, I barely saw y'all and did or didn't see y'all all, all at once or at the same time. So I haven't seen for 12 plus years. Thank you for being my support system through all of this. Your Honor, I know you have to make a decision about my, my sentencing. But if I could say this, and for the better part of last year, my kids, Kyle and Amon Robinson, didn't get to see me. Um, starting August 22nd, we started doing phone visitation, which was going well. Then as of November the 12th, we started having in-person visits twice a month, which have been great. They have gotten back used to seeing me and hugging me on a consistent basis. Um, please think about that when you're making your decision. I've been on house for over a year with no incident. 
I haven't been in any trouble. I made my payments on time. I haven't been violated or anything. I worked a steady job up until the week I came to plead for um, plead guilty. I was advancing at that job as well. I was able to provide for my boys still during that past year of work. And I have a job that's wanting me to come back to work right now. And I know the charge carries 10 to 20 years. But while you're thinking about that, could you please think about and consider um, leaving me on house arrest? Not just for me to work, but for the Kyle and Lamar. They don't deserve to have both their parents behind bars, especially when they've gotten back used to being able to physically see me and physically touch me. Thank you for listening, Your Honor. Thank you so much. After he was finished speaking, Judge Verdeen stated this, You didn't go to stop it. She's gone too far this time. That means there have been other times. You didn't call. You tried half measures that wouldn't get you or your wife in any trouble. You went to CVS on your own. You could have done something then. This is the most egregious case, and whether you could have stopped the ultimate result or not, you didn't try. You didn't try, and you let her die. I have no words for this. During the research for tonight's episode, every single thing I found, every single YouTube clip, news article, everything just made me so angry. I look at my daughter and I don't understand how people could have that much hatred for an innocent child to do something like this. I just, I don't understand. And with that, that concludes tonight's episode of the Worst Cooks in America murder. Before we go, let's get into... On Monday, May 2nd, the body of 15-year-old Kevin Poole was found near Crescent Park Bridge in St. Bernard Parish. He jumped in the river in an attempt to rescue 8-year-old Allie Wilson and 14-year-old Brandy Wilson. Brandy's body was found near Domino Sugar Refinery, and Allie's body remains missing. The judge overseeing the federal civil rights case of four former Minneapolis police officers in the killing of George Floyd said that on May 4th, he accepted the terms of Derek Chauvin's plea agreement and will sentence him to 20 to 25 years in prison. A former Alabama jail official, Vicki White, died after shooting herself when she and murder suspect Casey White were captured on Monday, May 9th in Indiana after more than a week on the run. Even though Casey was caught, this did not resolve the mystery of why Vicky would help him escape just one day before she was scheduled to retire. Three journalists were killed in Mexico over the course of a three-day span. Two of them were killed while sitting in a vehicle parked outside a convenience store on May 9th, while the third was killed a few days prior after witnesses saw him being forced into a white van. 
His body was found on a dirt road with several blows to the head and a gunshot wound to the leg. A body was discovered on May 1st at Lake Mead, the country's largest reservoir, as water levels plunged. Officers believe this person was a murder victim who died sometime between the mid-70s and the early 80s. Several more human remains were found over the course of the next week. Texas authorities are urgently seeking for a suspect who they say killed a world cyclist after a love triangle. Austin police have charged Caitlin Armstrong with homicide in the killing of fellow cyclist Mariah Wilson after they said that they discovered Wilson had previously been in a relationship with Armstrong's boyfriend, cyclist and Red Bull athlete Colin Strickland. A court in Kyiv have sentenced 21-year-old Russian Vadim Shishamarin to life imprisonment for the murder of an unarmed civilian in the first war crimes trial to arise from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A nearly 300-page investigation was released by the Southern Baptist Convention that contained a list of more than 700 abusive pastors. Former postal worker George Utley has been sentenced to 30 months in federal prison after falsely receiving disability benefits after he was caught on camera lifting weights. And finally, Josh Duggar was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison for possession of child pornography. He was also fined $10,000. A stipulation after he does get out of prison is he is required to be on probation for an additional 20 years. During that probation period, he is not allowed to have any unsupervised visits with minors, including his children. He cannot have access to the internet unless previously approved and is not allowed to watch or own any pornography. And that concludes tonight's episode. I hope you at least found this information interesting and We shall see you next week. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.